Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, yeah, hello there. Uh, it's me, and it's my sister Susan. Hello. You say that with such great assurance. <laughs> no, I had I had assurance this time. I did. Okay. Kevin told me that you were on the line, so I that's nice. Knew. That is why I had assurance. It's uh, I should say just to place us in time and space. It's September twenty eighth. It's uh, a Tuesday. So, Sus, I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't. It's, uh, it's not easy living in these times. No, it's uh, really not. I'm, I have a friend that uh, uh, calls me because I make her laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I was really, you know, and I do. I mean, I, I can, I crack jokes out of anything. It's not like I'm not. It's not like I'm actually trying to make her laugh, but I, I realized, um, even though that wasn't why she said she called, that I was failing in my core mission. You know, there's, there's just nothing funny. No, nothing. Nothing seems particularly funny anymore, because it, it seems like this is no time. To laugh. <laughs> no, and people Things keep dropping too, dead. I serious. mean, like lots of people keep dying from lots of things, but it's hard to believe that in some way they just aren't related to all the stress and crap that's going on, even if it's not directly attributable to, say, a pandemic. Do you know what I mean? It I absolutely does, do. I, I just think do. I just think people are going screw this and dying. Yeah, I've been feeling somewhat the same way. There's been a lot of death in my life circle uh, lately. And it's just, yeah, you almost can't, can't take anymore. Whatever. And it's, and, and I want to suggest, as I was saying to a friend yesterday, and uh, in this troubled uh, world, uh, we don't have anywhere, anywhere near the troubles that most people have. So no, I, you know. my biggest trouble is simply that I'm noticing. I mean, you know, let's be let's be clear. I, you know, knock on wood, spit over, you know, my shoulder and throw any kind of spice that might work. Uh, you know, I uh, we live a, a pretty lucky life. So. Yeah. And we're unhappy. So and we're unhappy. That just. I don't know. I mean, I you know, I I immerse myself in in what's called the news, and I find myself not really finding much of it engaging because it's written just like it used to be. I mean, everything seems like normal, right? We have a story here about the debt limit, and we have a story here about this bill, and we have a story. And I'm thinking, why are we going through the motions that everything is as it always has been, when what is happening right now in our country is we are witnessing the the end, right. I think. Right. The Republicans' really insistence on killing our country. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's what I really do, and I don't. I mean, I, I think I that's part of it, Lynn. But I think the other part is when I read that headline about you know debt ceiling and you know blocking and you know country's going to going to shut down. I go, you know, well, the first time that happened, like seven years ago, that scared me. But now it happens every effing year, and it's yeah. just it's just irresponsible and cut it out. You know, I want to read know. about it. What's there to read about? We know you're going to not pay some people. People are going to suffer while you guys, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking of some, you know, are masturbating in, you know, that I just stop. It. I hear you. I hear you. But it's just like, you know, they're, they're, they're playing with our country. They're playing with our lives. And they're yeah, they're killing us, with, and everybody and thinks they're that. they're killing us, and it's all for um, their their lust to hold on to power that, in fact, the majority of people in this country don't want them to have. And they'll take us down trying to hold on to it. I, I You know, I, it is Right, true if you can't I'm have it, I'm going to break it. That's right, and that's what is happening. And I really think that... I see more and more, you know, people who never would have, you know, there's this woman, she's been on a commentary. I think she's a, maybe she was with Newsweek magazine or something. You'll know the name, Eleanor Clift. Yeah. She's an older woman who has been around covering DC for a million years. And I, I don't think of her as a, you know, over the top type, very buttoned down. And I saw that she had a piece out uh, today. I hadn't seen her byline in a million years. And and she's just flat out saying that the Republican Party is, um, well, she said fascist leaning. And, 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 and this is the kind of thing that, remember, just a year or two ago, people would say, you can't use fascist. That is just a no starter. That is not. You know, that's one of those third rails in our in our speaking to each other that's over the top. But the thing is, it isn't anymore. No, because no, it's merely descriptive. Yeah, yeah. And so you have people like her who I don't think of in any way as a catastrophist or a bomb thrower. And she's just saying and she's not saying it strongly enough. I mean, but it is uh, using fascist appended to. Uh, the Republican Party. Um, and, and and for all these reporters, and I'll throw NPR in here too, I can't listen to their news anymore. Um, they're just still going about it as if it's normal times. That is how their reporters cover this stuff. And it needs to be covered with the alarm that any citizen reasonably feels uh, at what is going on in front of our very eyes. And I must say that the Democrats often don't call it uh, what it is enough and aren't. I don't know what to do. I mean, it's like, well, it's I don't like either. watching, I, it's yeah. like watching something you love die. Well, like, you know, I, you I know I'll fight. tell you. I, I this know. is what watching someone die of opi opioid addiction is like. We got a bunch of people that are addicted to this crap, and they, no matter how much we scream, "You're killing! You're killing us! You're killing us!" They can't stop. 
Mount and we Santa are powerless Santa. to stop it. I mean, I it's I it, it, the, the, my 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 brother-in-law, formerly uh, formerly one of the most conservative, you know, um, Republicans I knew, lovable, but nonetheless, you know, that's who he was. Now sends me texts about staying up at night because of the crisis facing. He goes, we got we got climate change. I mean, we got the pandemic, but our but. I'm just terrified about our country. Okay, I mean, yeah. so yeah, he's staying up at night. This is this is Joe Blow who never paid two bits of attention to politics. I promise you. Well, there is a uh, piece, uh, Michael Gerson writing in the Washington Post today, where he says uh, that we have to. Uh, Actually, the headline says it. Future political violence feels inevitable. Yeah. So here is, uh, and he's not a over-the-top guy either. He's saying the Republicans have a strong cohort that clearly are already willing and able to engage in political violence. I give you January 6th. Right. They they worship uh, a former president who refused to give up the presidency that he had lost in a, you know, in a traditional way and continued to say that he had been, you know, denied uh, what he had actually won, when in fact that, of course, is not true. But he says that, like, Trump continues to tell these people that, well, here's a quote from him. And this was before the they attacked the Capitol. If you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. That's the president giving them their marching orders to literally fight. That's how they understood it. That's how they took it. And uh, I, I'm sure you've seen that poll that was out. I don't know how long ago it was. But two-fifths of people identified as Republicans. We're not talking mm-hmm. about people that were at the January 6th insurrection. Two-fifths of Republicans said in a poll that they were open to political violence. Well, I thought it was I thought even I was being hyperbolic when I remember quite clearly saying, you know, the only reason that the NRA is arming all these folks is is to get ready for the revolution. And I really Mm -hmm. didn't expect to be here this this fast. Yeah. Um, And you think of this, you know, of Trump and his ilk, how he uses terror and intimidation and threats. And now all over the country, you've got his mini-me's running for governor, running for Senate, running for congressional seats, running for legislative seats. And they're all trying to outdo him in their incendiary language, in their it's, – it's just – it's astonishing to see. And this is not an America anyone has ever seen before. Uh-uh. No, and 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 nor one that clearly the majority of the country wants. But I don't know 
you know, I don't see any big mobilization towards the midterms or anything. I mean, I just see the country singing, sinking back into this is all so awful. There's nothing we can do with this. And it, yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of scary. But, you know, if I'm feeling it and you're feeling it and, the, and there's just sort of this inevitability, we're doomed. I mean, the only one we got working for us right now is Trump, who seems to have just endorsed Stacey Abrams, which, you know, I'll take. Well, he's done that out of the, you know, out of out of spite, uh, out of spite for the Republican governor of right. Georgia. Right. I mean, what is, what doesn't he do uh, out of spite, spite and fear? Uh, it, it, this is insane. If if a country is able to be in the in the throes of a um, of a relationship with someone this clearly damaged. Um, that says all you need to know about the state of this country. And obviously, we're talking to people who aren't in the, that crowd, but that crowd is uh, big enough to take us down. And I think they know it. And I think they're willing to take the house down if they can't have things as they want, yeah. which is Or they're white, stupid enough to think that the threat Christian. of it won't break things enough that it happens. Yeah, I, it's just beyond belief. It is beyond So belief. I'm in this constant state of just uh, – and then, as you point out, uh, let's think about the climate. <laughs> let's think about uh, the globe uh, and warming up. I, I heard a um, – this was on NPR, which I just uh, missed. Uh, I heard an interview with a, I think a Swedish guy who uh, has written a book, I think called How to Blow Up an Oil Pipeline or something. And he, in his book, I mean, he says in the interview that I heard that and he was almost like you could hear the, the, the fear in his voice. He said, it's, it's impossible to believe that we are aware that our planet is on fire. It is literally on fire. And the oceans are rising. And there is an all, all evidence points to this is going, going to get worse and worse until human uh, life and animal life, uh, you know, becomes, he said, and we are not, he says, why are we not fighting for our lives? We're still building and allowing the building of oil and gas pipelines. We are refusing to do what has to be done. And he was calling for there has to be, this is a revolution, not about a country this is a revolution about saving the saving our globe the globe it's amazing that i mean i keep thinking don't any of these people even if you don't have grandchildren can't you imagine having them yeah. do you have children do you expect so, your children to want to have children because it, it appears to be this you know force that you can't turn off so um I, I, you know it's yes so, it's difficult. well he's suggesting and i think he's correct that we will see what will be called terrorism. It'll be called eco-terrorism. Right. But I think eco-terrorists, uh, I'm on their side. 
I just want to say right now, I'm on their side. Yeah. We're just asleep. It, it, we're asleep. We're as, Americans are asleep, not taking. I think we're just stunned. I don't know. Are we in shock? Are we in shock? Maybe. I don't know. But we better snap out of it. I don't know what's necessary. The usual is not necessary. I see women are going to march this Saturday about abortion. And I'm thinking, fuck marches. I don't know. We've been marching forever. I don't know. We march. We talk. I mean, although I I must say, and you know that I am a a big supporter of the ACLU as you are, but I was I I couldn't believe that they chose to change our you know. Let's Ruth, talk about that. Let's talk Ruth about that. Yeah. I mean, I, did you read Michelle okay. Goldberg? Yes, yes, because yes, I, I totally I, agree with her. Oh, absolutely. I have it right here, and I just want to say, yeah, it feels like. How dare you take someone's words and update them so as there there is such a thing as a woman. Tell them what we're talking about. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Thank you. The, um, <laughs> Michelle Goldberg has wrote a piece and it created a, quite a stir. Uh, believe it or not, we uh, came upon, I guess, yesterday or the day before the one year anniversary of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. And. Um, and the ACLU wanting to pay tribute to her uh, put out a tweet, not just the ACLU, I think, was it Anthony Romero, the head, um, whatever. And here's, he decided that the way to do it was to quote her, uh, this iconic quote from her uh, Senate confirmation hearings when she was asked that question that all these would-be justices get asked of how she would uh, find if Roe v. Wade were were up for, again for consideration. And unlike what you get now, which is they refuse to answer the question or they lie through their teeth, she said this. This is her actual quote, okay? The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and dignity. It is a decision she must make for herself. When government controls that decision for her, she is being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for her own choices. And it's just beautifully said. Mm-hmm. So Anthony Romero, ACLU, wants to tweet out reminding us of her courage and uh, her eloquence. And here's what he did. He said he was quoting her. But here's what he said. The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a person's life, to their well-being and dignity. Blah, 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 blah. When the government controls that decision for people, they are being treated as less than a fully adult adult human responsible for their own choices. So they erased. No, in other words, all lives matter. That's right. That's right. All lives matter. They she was making a clear statement about women, about men controlling women, women. And 
because of the woke culture now, the ACLU felt it had to uh, get rid of women. There's not a woman in what he tweeted out. You realize that there's not woman doesn't exist. No, we got a race. And I. Yeah, we got a race for the common you. good, and I got to tell oh, yeah. you that I don't think I that's anybody's goal. <clears throat> well, this is where this shit leads. This leads this crap. Well, that would no. It doesn't have to lead to. It never has to lead to altering a quote. You don't honor the person by changing their words. And by changing their words, they changed their import. And if they hadn't made the first boo-boo, nothing would have followed afterwards. You don't need to update and awaken quotes from the past. And they just might mean exactly what they say. Exactly. It's just stupid. And that is what she meant. Although Romero, <clears throat> Anthony Romero, the executive director of the ACLU, I told Michelle Goldberg, because she called him, she wrote this, he says he regrets the tweet and that in the future, the the ACLU will not substantively alter anyone's quotes. What does that mean? I don't know. And then he says, having spent time with Justice Ginsburg... I would like to believe that if she were alive today, she would encourage us to evolve our language to encompass a broader vision of gender, identity, and sexuality. Not if it erases a a whole group. Nobody. Well, well, but that's. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Inclusion does not mean erasure. Otherwise, you know, we. This is where inclusion breeds exclusion. And exclusion of the majority of with the vast majority right no but you know i if this is i okay i'm gonna I, this is gonna sound weird i'm gonna tell a little story about our parents on a trip to montreal where mom just wanted a little fur vest back in the days when that wasn't politically inappropriate just a little fur vest to wear and here we were in Montreal so they go looking so dad takes her there doesn't really want to go and keeps putting her into more and more and more and more expensive furs until she finally walks in on a floor length sable thing that costs you know a gazillion dollars she looks at him and she goes well this is stupid I don't need this and they walk out and dad winked at me as we walked out (laughs) and he 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 talked her into something that she thought so ridiculous that he walked out, and that's what this does. It makes the whole thing so ridiculous that we throw that baby right out with the bathwater, and we don't get nothing, we women. And I got to tell you, I'm I, I'm noticing it's a man that doesn't grasp this concept. And it's irritating me a little bit. Yeah. At least our dad oh, knew exactly what he was doing. This guy <laughs> seems not to. Oh, well. Did you follow that convoluted uh, story to me? Kind of, <laughs> yeah, I did it. To have anything to do with 
I don't Sorry. remember that. Was I? Um, yeah, that was, was that, that was Mother's sixty. That was the birthday. birthday. Where, yeah. yeah, that's the one where I where I was appalled by Leah's diaper. <laughs> I left you in a room with a baby Leah who who just uh, did yeah, a, yeah. Uh, a formula probably by then a milk blowout all over a white bed hotel bed and you just uh, yeah. Uh, I, I had yeah, no idea. You went into I, I a thought, dead you know, faint. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Help! <laughs> Help there! Jeez. Okay. So, um, all right. Let's... Oh, Susan, wait. I have to say, this is something nice. This is something nice! Uh, I've been waiting for a book that was being sent to me by a publisher the uh, the author had gotten in touch with me and said that he had a new book out. And I said, well, set, have your publisher send it. And this is a guy who writes these procedurals about, you know, uh, it's actually about a psychiatrist helping the cops. Uh, anyway, he always sets them here in Pittsburgh. And I've over the years had him on because he's just fun and interesting he um he wrote the screenplay for one of my favorite movies, which is called My Favorite Year, starring Peter O'Toole. Right. It is the cutest movie. Yes, it is. I just love it. Well, he wrote that screenplay. And then he went on to become a psychiatrist. Don't ask. It is the most interesting life. He's from Pittsburgh. And now he writes these procedurals. But he was the he was and still is, I think, a psychiatrist to Hollywood types because he knows the stresses they're under because he was in that world. Anyway, so I'm waiting for his book. And then I see there's this big box on my front door, at my front door. And I look and I saw book, uh, the word book on it. And I thought, but what, what did he, did they make a mistake and send me 5,000 of the copies? It was this, it was bulging at the seams, large box. And I, thank God I had that surgery. I was able to pick it up. It was heavy, brought it into the house and was really confused. And then I saw it from him, but it was from some book place. I open it up and it's filled with books, different books, hardcover, uh, paperback. Uh, and then I see on the, I see in the, like the return address, there was this little thing that had been printed out on the box telling me who had sent it. And it was one of the women who listens to this show. You're kidding. No, Ella. And Ella, I hope you're listening because I don't know how else to say thank you. I don't have your email or anything. And there was nothing there that allowed me to say thank you. But she just sent me this. And I went through them last night and made, um, there's no way I could read all of these, but I made a pile of ones I'm going to keep and read. The others I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to parse them out to all of those little 
uh, front Book yard things. lending yeah, library. Put them, right, put them in the Because they're library. wonderful. There's one wonderful. And so, Ella, I, I can't thank you enough. You're so sweet. This is so sweet. And there's things that, I mean, there's one book that I remember uh, wanting to read, and there it is. Um, there's biographies, there's novels, there's history. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And she, she did it at some place that sent it is for like, not cut, some kind of cut where you, I'm, I'm, where she didn't have to spend a ton of money. I don't know. I don't know what this place is. I, but you had to have spent some Ella and you shouldn't have, but bless you. It was so incredibly kind and sweet. Isn't that and nice? I, yeah. And I still haven't gotten the book. That I was waiting for. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I that hope, sounds I like hope, a song for some reason. Yeah, I hope you you got it. Um, did you? You? I, I suppose you didn't notice that uh, Pittsburgh got a big shout out at the on the uh, the concert that passed for the Tonys. Because no, because I never watched them. What well, this, this time you didn't actually get to see the Tonys, which was confusing to me. You had to stream those. But afterwards, uh, CBS put on a two-hour concert, which in fact is all you ever want to see of the Tonys. And it was uh-huh. everybody that was anybody singing the best of Broadway. So it was sort of, uh, you know, hair stand up on your arms kind of stuff. Um, but the the guy that it, Leslie Odom Jr. was uh, hosting it, yeah, and he did a whole shout out to CMU. Oh, because Josh Groban was. Would he go to did Leslie Odom go there too? Yes, they. He went and to Josh school Groban with Josh Josh Groban. Oh, okay. And so they did a whole thing <laughs> together, but they were. I mean, and then at the end, somebody made fun of them for their ode to CMU. But anyway. <laughs> Well, the New York Times panned them today. What, they the have best, No, that Odom and and Groban. They 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 said the Tonys are going fine, and then this stupid. That thing was happened. the worst duet. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, but yeah, so no, I didn't. I'm trying that. to change the subject. I'm okay, trying I to gotta, make. I'm gotta, trying to I pretend like it. it's normal life. I know. I know. Hey, uh, the other day I was mentioning that Al Franken is uh, going back on, he's on a comedy tour. Yay! Yeah, he's decided, you know, I put the comic away for so long. Let's try to back out. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't see this email in time to share it. So I'm letting everybody know that uh, Ben uh, wrote me and said that, if you want to see Al Franken, he is coming here, uh, and it's October 23rd, if you want to see his new act, October 23rd, at the Carnegie uh, Library Music Hall, not in not in Oakland, not in Pittsburgh, in Homestead. Okay, that's another really nice venue. Okay? In Homestead. So, just so you know, and I had wanted to let people know that. Um <clears throat> I'm still. Me? Are you ready to do stuff like that? I see. I'm. I'm no. The, no. I'm not. And and I'm the not. people that are worry me. <laughs> well, you know, everything is trending down, just like 
happens. I mean, what's happening is that uh, mostly now it's uh, Republicans killing other Republicans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which because is, we know. Democrats know when it's good time to hide. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> God. Uh, also, there's this thing about these man, you know, like the New York mandate for healthcare workers, and everybody was freaking out that there was still this huge number of uh, healthcare workers that refused to get vaccinated. And they were about to lose their, you know, if they don't get, there's no, right, they they lose their credentialing. You're, you're gone. Yeah, you're gone. I don't know if they yeah. lose their credentialing. They'll no, lose no, their oh, job. no, they were going to get fired. I, but the hospitals have to have a minimum number of, you know, yeah. people so to be allowed to but, do what they need to do. So the governor was thinking of even calling out the National Guard and having them try to step into certain positions and blah, 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 blah. But listen to this. Um, I saw this right before the show started. At a Bronx, at a hospital in the Bronx last Wednesday, uh, and this is a hospital with uh, 3,000 staff members, 20% of them a week ago had not gotten vaccinated, 20%. And then, you know, the mandate was there. They So it were 20% of these People going to walk away from their jobs? Well, turns out by late yesterday morning, (laughs) that number had plummeted from 20% to 6%, which is still enough people, but it's not the kind of debilitating. So, no, and to me, it sounds like you're culling the people that don't belong in healthcare. Excuse me. You know, but yeah, but you're also, you know, what you're also showing is mandates work, work. That is correct. Here's another, another little item I saw, and this has to do with Maine, the state of Maine. Um, they also had a mandate, and there was all this. Oh my God! All these people are going to quit. We're not going to be able to run the hospital. In Maine, only 65 healthcare workers in the entire state out of 33,000 have quit their jobs <laughs> over the vaccine mandate. Well, don't they feel stupid? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're out of a job and they're going, well, but you know, you're- that's less, you know what? That's 0.2% right. of the healthcare workers in the state. Right. So mandates work. They work. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it it just it. I'm how how can you not think that you look foolish? Complaining about this stuff. I mean, you just look foolish if you are not willing to do the bare minimum to. Keep the person next to you safe. You just, you know, you 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 should be walking around with a big sandwich board that just says I'm an asshole. You know, it's it's tired of this already. (laughs) Well, you better hunker down because it's just going to keep coming. I know. I remember like eight months ago saying to mother, just. You know, it's going to be a year. No, I was probably a year ago that I said to mother, it's going to be a year. Just settle down. 
And now I got mom saying, there's no place I want to go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, Barbara just sent me this, uh, this, uh, you know, truly good uh, piece by James, uh, not James, Robert, Robert Kagan, uh, a columnist in the Washington Post that was in a few days ago. And, and he just flat out says what we've been saying. Um, I, the he- headline of it is our constitutional crisis is already here. And I definitely think you, if you haven't read it, you should, uh, you should read it. Because if you're thinking that Susan and I are being hyperbolic, um, this sort of tells you, no, anyone who's thinking straight is seeing things as we are. It is that bad. And, and it's, it's got, really bad. And and the, yeah. and apparently, the you know Mitch McConnell and his and his crazies uh, clearly think that they can destroy the country with impunity. When when I I think these people have crossed the line so long ago that they should be tried for treason and and hung. I don't know what's wrong with us. I mean, I agree. I agree. What does it take? Hey. They yeah they actually actively I is beyond they belief. actually beyond tried belief. to do it so, that, so this country if you have a country in which there's an attempted coup d'état and no one does by, anything led by the president aided and abetted by uh, his political party to supersede the will of the people um, and nothing happens they had a committee. They had a committee. They wrote up the how-tos. They, I, I talked about this yesterday. It, it is, it is beyond belief. So anyway, people responding to this Kagan article say, "We will look back at this piece in 2024 and wonder why we had done nothing to prevent the upcoming destruction of our democracy." And somebody also said, German conservatives, this is one of uh, what Kagan says, German conservatives accommodated Adolf Hitler in large part because they opposed the socialists more than they opposed the Nazis. Right. That's how we got trouble Donald Trump, because heaven forbid Hillary. Right. Who uh, Who wasn't going to break the country. And, and let's be clear, the conservatives, and I saw Liz Cheney say this the other day, she voted with Trump 93% of the time. She didn't have a problem with Trump's policies. She had a problem with his, you know, his insanity and, and instability and uh, personality and the fact that he, he took this, this civilized uh, uh, way of presenting Republican policy away and showed it for what it really was. And that's what a lot of Republicans held against Cheney, who now, you know, denounces him uh, and is trying to save the party, which is bullshit. You don't save this party. This party either dies or it kills the country. I mean, it's as simple as that. And German conservatives were way too close to Nazis in that 
they pretty much shared a lot of the same politics. So they, the German conservatives held their nose and aided and abetted Adolf Hitler because they wanted to own the socialists. This is exactly what's happening in this country. And we don't even have socialists. We've got moderate Democrats. We're mostly Republicans, erstwhile Republicans. Uh, so, yeah. um, well, that was fun. <laughs> well, I don't know what to, what can I do? What can we say? We have a caller. I guess I had some and I, I never see it. I'm sorry. Uh, caller, go ahead. Good morning, Lynn. Hi. I just wanted to, um, Give you a recommendation. I was watching PBS last night, and there's a show on there now. It was two hours yesterday, two hours today. First, it, yes. Did you watch it? I haven't yet, but I, I will. It's really, really interesting. Okay. I've heard I, that. I, I think that you know it's the life and times of Hearst, and <clears> I think what prompted me to watch it. Our daughter lives in California, and we visited the Hearst castle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been there too. Yeah. yeah, And I I mean, I guess I never really knew that his father is the one who made all the money. And then he was sort of like Donald Trump. I mean, but it was his mother who Mm -hmm. doted on Mm -hmm. him. And he had this attitude about himself. It just, I, I just wanted to give you a break from politics. Okay, but this is how another monster. Got <laughs> another, me. Uh, let's another talk about monster another monster. This <laughs> one's dead now. You're, you're right. You're right. I, I mean, I, I totally. You know, agree. I work for. I, I get a pension check every month. Oh, oh. From, from, from Mr. Hurst. Yes, from Mr. Hurst, because uh, WTAE TV and radio were owned by Hurst. And I guess I never realized that he did try to get into politics. I mean, it's oh so, yeah. If you love biographies and you love history, it, it's great because I'm in the process of reading Peril. And oh I, God, jeez! I, I don't read know. it at your own peril. <laughs> I can't. I, it you know. Um, it, it's very frightening. I don't know if I could get through. I, I really don't. It's um, that's what you and your sister were yeah. talking about. I mean, yeah. I yeah. don't think people realize. Well, if no. people don't realize, we're we're again we're doomed. Um, this is no time not to pay attention. And, uh, and, as, and, and, and more than that, we not only have to pay attention, but we have to continue action. to take action to support candidates that are doing the right things and to keep, uh, you know, the only we've, we've got to save the country before we can get enough people to save the planet. I mean, that's just the way it is. The two things sort of go hand in hand. So we might as well work for the common good. But we do have to work again. We can't. We we've got to overcome this inertia and this sense of inevitability. This is the time to fight for our lives right now. Right Right now, now. there's no. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yesterday, and I don't know. We don't. I would even replace the word work with the word fight, because the other side is fighting. Yeah. Hey, thank you for the recommendation because I yeah. 
And Thank I, you. I, I love appreciate when it. Susan is on with you. Well, I love your show <laughs> to begin with, and, and it's just like a little extra special on Tuesdays. Well, thank, oh, you. thank you. Thank you. All righty. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. It's, it's nice for us too. <laughs> yes, it is. And this, you know, speaking of peril, the book she, she's reading—that's the latest uh, uh, Woodward book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book out today that's getting all the attention is uh, yeah, it's the book sort of funny. by Stephanie Grisham, <laughs> who was, uh, you know, in the with Trump from beginning to end. Yeah, but left, but clearly left with such a bad taste in her mouth that she told yeah, everything. But, but she's a, she's a, it's like, she, she's a piece like of a work. Rat, it's a rat turning on other rats. I know, it's she's she a piece of work. She was in the, that's right. Um, but and now she's turned on them too, right? Where she's just, she's, she's not a, a very nice person all around, is she? But she couldn't be. No. Not to have served them. And she, but she was in a position to observe much more because she was close to him and close to her, the wife. And the the one, the big one, which doesn't surprise anybody knowing what happened afterwards at the press conference. But you'll recall when Trump and Putin uh, met with no one else there. For 90 minutes, there was no tra- nobody. T- there was just the translators. Nobody taking notes. Nobody knowing what Trump said to Putin. And Grisham was the last one to leave the room to leave them to themselves. And she heard Trump say, and of course he said this. Okay, I'm going to act a little act a little tougher with you for a few minutes, but it's for the cameras. And after they leave, we'll talk. You understand. God Almighty. To which apparently, um, to which apparently, Putin responded, "I hear the, I hear your privates are remarkably small," and uh, and he won the meeting. Hello. I mean. No, no, no. But the, if you, the rest of the thing was that he spent the time making nice with Putin, and Putin spent the time playing on all Trump's insecurities. Oh yeah, right, sure, of course. And in fact, Trump at one point on Air Force One called Grisham back to tell her this is after Paul, uh, not apologize. <laughs> uh, uh, Stormy Daniels had described right. his penis. Right, as, he, a, as a toadstool. He actually stool. had to, yeah, and he actually had to, had to set. So how insecure is a is a man? Well, that is that. why they, that was the association that came up. Jesus. Because he God. talked about these things with her. And guess what? We also find out that the jacket wherein, um, yeah, Malachi, yeah, yeah. yeah, meant exactly what she meant. Which is, I don't give a damn. I, I don't give care. a damn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's awful. I mean, she's horrible. He's horrible. Their kids are horrible. Everybody around them is horrible. It's it's just. Ah! I'm looking at this sumo wrestler. <laughs> How's that for an abrupt segue? I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm looking at the I got like a whole row of punchlines going down. Go ahead. (laughs) 
And he, it's amazing. As a sumo wrestling is always just sort of like, uh, it's re- I find myself repelled by this. I don't know why, by the way these guys look. And the whole thing just seems weird, you know, having to look at their fat asses and all this kind of stuff and the, the get-ups and the whole, it just, the whole thing just strikes. There's so many, so many Japanese things that are so odd. That culture is so in its traditions and it's, you know, from kabuki to sumo, the theatricality, the, that I just don't, is so beyond me. Do not, well, because it's not my culture and I don't get it, but there's other cultures I don't get, but I'm drawn to what they, what they do. There's, you know, their theater or their, I, this I don't get, but this guy is apparently the most accomplished sumo wrestler in history. And he's retiring. Uh. He's Yeah. He's 36 years old. And there's a picture of him here. And he's on his haunches, and he's his knees. He's squatting on his haunches, but his knees are pointing in opposite directions. Do you know what I mean? So he's yes, got. So he is exposed to you. He's not well, sitting modest. <laughs> no, but he's not exposed because he's got a huge, huge uh, loincloth. Beautiful right. thing. Yeah, but the fact that this big, huge man has the uh, flexibility. Oh, the dexterity to do it. And strength to sit. I could no more do what he's doing. I to sit. He's in like, you know, a ballet dancers. Uh, fifth he's position. an athlete. Yes, yes. And he's six feet four. Wow. He's a and he weighs. One. He weighs 350 pounds, and he's not a big one. No, so he's reasonably thin. He's a small one. His chief rival in recent years weighs well over 400 pounds. Yeah, but this guy has a reach on him. I don't know. Yeah, you can't get close enough to him. This guy, I I think, uh, makes me want to start watching the sport. No, I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. Anyway, he's he's so it's just so odd looking. Anyway, he's not even Japanese. He's Mongolian. <laughs> Cultural he, appropriation, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. He wanted to be. He he went to Japan when he was a teenager to learn to to become a sumo wrestler. Right. Well, you know, and uh, did you follow the other big Japanese news? They have their own Harry and Meghan story. No. Oh, yeah. One of the princesses is giving up her crown. Oh, to marry the man. To marry a commoner. Cool. And and, uh, no, everybody is horrified. Oh, sure, they're free. And they're giving them to- they're giving her total crap. She's she's begging. She says, I love him where we belong together. You know, I'm just, can't you just be happy for us? And they did a poll and 91% of the nation says, no, we can't be, <laughs> you know, no. a pot in your house. I feel yeah, so no. sorry for her. You see, he's, they're coming to the United States to live. I mean, because they can't, sure. they can't live there. He, 
he's a he he just graduated from law school here, so they're moving. So we're getting all this royalty here. <laughs> the royalty <laughs> and, they're, and they're a very cute couple. I'd like to say this. I don't know why these these stories leap out at me, but I'm wishing them well for one. So welcome to America, you two. Poor yeah, thing. welcome to America. Just when anti-Asian violence. Yeah, bring your gun. And we won't be able to tell you from the other kinds that you're in trouble. Yeah, that's right. Be careful. You might want to wear your crown when you're walking down the street so people know you're special or something. No, she can't. She oh. Gonna... oh, I see. Well, she could buy a tiara somewhere. Um, you know what she should have done? It's too bad she didn't fall in love with a, you know, with either uh, with somebody of racially uh, different because the Japanese really freak. Over. No, this was like her high school boyfriend. I mean, you know, yeah, her college yeah, boyfriend. Yeah. She just fell in love with a perfectly acceptable, bright young man. <laughs> except he's not. Except not he's properly. not acceptable and he's not proper and we hate him, therefore. Oh, God. You know, Did you I just, uh, read yeah. the piece about uh, Chris Cuomo sexually assault harassment? I, you know, I I gotta say, I read it and I thought not into it. I'm just, I I just, how much, how you know? Everybody already well, thinks I hate men. I'm trying so hard not to hate men, but they well, work so hard though. at. The, yeah, the, yeah. the whole damn family, apparently. And I used to have a crush on the dad back when in the '80s when I lived in New York. Yeah, well, when we were told he was like Hamlet. Okay, so here's the thing. If you haven't heard We were it, told he was like Hamlet. <laughs> yeah, he was like Hamlet. That was bad. So Cuomo used to work for this woman when she was a big hotshot producer at, uh, what was it, CB, ABC. And um, she was at a going away party for someone else on the uh, at ABC. And she was there with her husband and Cuomo walked in, Chris Cuomo, the CNN guy. And here's how she describes it. Cuomo entered the Upper West Side bar. He walked toward me and greeted me with a strong bear hug while lowering one hand to firmly grab and squeeze the cheek of my buttock. And that, this is the, the quote he says to her as he's doing this. I can do this now that you're no longer my boss. And no. she said, no, you can't. And she said, I pushed him off me while stepping back and that and revealing my husband sitting behind me. Her husband was no hero. He didn't jump up and slug him. He, but they left. And the next morning, Chris Cuomo sends her an email saying that he was ashamed of what he had done and I should not have put you in that position and how blah, blah, blah. And she thought, oh, he's covering his ass. Now, she didn't do anything about this. This is, you know, she let it go, but she makes very clear in this, and this is so true, that she did not in any way take this as sexual. At the time, there was nothing sexual about this. No, he was you know reasserting how, his know rightful what? dominance that, over her. That's, that's right. That, that's right. Yeah. 
So yeah. this is like when people don't understand when we're trying to school people about rape, that rape is not a sexual act as much as it is an act of control and power and humiliation. And she said, that's all he was trying to do. He was trying to put me in my place and uh, in fact, humiliating me in front of other people that I work with. And she says, she in her article, she said, I really think CNN and she, I'm not saying he should lose his job. I'm just saying, can these people ever like acknowledge, by the way, CNN and Cuomo have said nothing. They won't even respond to this. CNN is well, really valuable. They're going on. Yeah, well, I, don't and... know why he's val- I don't know why he's valuable. I can't stand looking at him. He, no, I don't want I, him, Even but... before all of this, because he can't, his face, he looks, he's so tightly wound, like his brother, the former governor, so tightly wound, he looks like he's going to explode. I mean, he's just like, he, he is, uh, he's the kind of man that makes me just run. I cannot stomach him. And I don't know why they, I don't know, who knows, guys hang together. Guys hang together. They That's do. All there is to it. These people. Oh, and by the okay. way, speaking of guys hanging together, um, Northwestern University is yeah. currently in a, having a big uh, um, thing happening with uh, people demanding that they kick all fraternities off the campus and all sororities. There have been two fraternities that have so far been accused of basically crimi- you know, criminal acts, uh, lacing uh, uh, pills and, and drugging uh, mm-hmm. women. Uh, and, and so they're just saying, you know, this is an archaic institution already. Get these oh, things God, off our campus. Oh, God, tell me about it. I well, but so it's, this is where these notions are formed about this boyhood and fraternities and having each other back and committing atrocities together to bind you. Well, let me tell you, you know, my little That's what hazing about. Is. About my little quick story about my only encounter with uh, sororities <laughs> was when my freshman year at Northwestern University, I, you know, everybody was all excited because it was rush week. And I didn't even understand what the hell this was. But I, everybody said, because my mother and father had gone there and my mother and father had been members sorority of and fraternity. Sorority right. and fraternity. So I was told, well, you're a legacy at 85, and you can't go. And I thought, I don't want to. I don't want to. This is not the thing I do. But so I dutifully went to this this little group of, and we went from sorority house to sorority house. And the second one I went to was, I'll never forget it, Kappa Kappa Gamma. Oh, yeah. They weren't interested in you. Oh, my God. I got I got ushered in by a very pretty little blonde. Blonde thing, yeah. All my sisters. A blonde thing, yes, yes. And she said, "Well, so nice of you to come. Why don't you go in here?" And she put me in a room with other people. I look around. 
They all brunettes. Jews. Yeah, Jews. Uh, there was one black girl, um, and I thought, oh, this is the reject room. Apparently, I, it was so obvious. It was so unbelievably obvious. And I walked out of Kappa Kappa Gamma and went back to my dorm. That was it for me. And I have so hated this. How well, in fact, back when our parents system. were there, that Northwestern was a most anti-Semitic place in a right. most anti-Semitic time. And in That's fact, true. being in the Jewish sorority and the Jewish fraternity was, you know, probably pretty a much way of, a way of survival. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. But, uh, man, I don't see any reason for them to exist anymore. I do not blow it up. And I know I, for a lot of people, that was a wonderful experience. But no, so many I think people it, I have think been hurt and it, it, with the, it's by the freak it, system. Right, because it's, it's all, I mean, it, it, there's all sorts of rejections that one has to take into life. You don't have to willingly put yourself out, you know, to a group of people whose uh, selection criteria are from the very beginning suspect. You know, I have to tell you, though, and we're out of time, but I have to tell you, there are, I now, you know, that I'm talking, my story is from 1966. <laughs> That's a long time ago. There are, um, I, there are fraternities and sororities now and I know a lot of uh, black. Uh, they have different uh, meetings in different cultures. They, they do different no, and things. That is such a defining thing you see with uh, Kamala Harris that her sorority meant the world to her, and those sisters all over the country. You know, it's a it's it's. A, but that's again for marginalized groups, for Jews right. at Northwestern, for blacks. If, it's it different for white folks, all those little blondes to have to have yet another somehow uh, institution um, in which they get any. to feel superior because yeah. that's all it's for. Right. Doesn't make any sense no. at all. No. But the, well, the fun thing is, is that I think it was last year. Um, I, I went to a virtual event and there was a former, no, he was a current Pittsburgh Steeler. I want to say his name was Baron. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Baron Batch. I don't know. I, I, Baron, I think his last name was. And uh, he was in, I'm not sure which one, a Jewish fraternity in college. And he knew a lot of, he could do some Hebrew songs. He could do, it was a riot. This big black athlete had joined a Jewish fraternity. Yeah. And I think, I'm, I'm just saying, I think there's been more, more cross-pollinization um, in some of the, you know, there's a lot more, uh, it's not as segregated as it was. I don't know that that's true of all fraternities. No, I think it's true. But, I mean, I think it was happening even back, you know, in the, in the eighties and stuff. Uh, um, a lot of crossover. It, it ceased to be just this or that. Yeah. Oh, well, take them down anyway is what I say. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, so we are out of time. Oh, we are. Okay. We have, yeah. Okay. So uh, thank you very You're much. Welcome. Bye. 
Bye. And guys, I'll be back tomorrow. And uh, I don't know. I keep looking for stuff that is not so depressing. But what are we to do? We can't entertain ourselves um, and avoid reality. The reality is dark and it demands seriousness and attention. And somebody find that poor eagle. Thank you very much. All right. Oodaloo. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers. <laughs>